Jesus died and he was buried on the day of preparation. Uh, that's Friday. Day of preparation meaning the day of preparation leading to the Sabbath day, Saturday. And the way that the Jewish people counted days, a day began at the evening and a day ended on the evening of the next day. So uh, from Friday evening to Saturday evening is the Sabbath day. And on that day, Sabbath day, no work may be done. And so these precious and dear ladies, the three women that we read about here, after they witness their beloved Lord and Master being tortured and being violently killed. And after they saw his, his corpse being lowered from the cross and being laid in a tomb, they couldn't do anything for him. And I'm sure it broke their hearts. And they waited impatiently all Sabbath day until Sabbath ended on Saturday evening. And as, Sabbath, as soon as Sabbath was over, they went and began to make preparations to anoint Jesus' body. So they went and bought, we read here, the ointment. And I have no doubt that they stayed up all night making preparations because in their minds and in their great grief, they wanted to do something for Jesus, and they knew that giving Jesus a proper burial would be the very last act of love that they could do for him. And so the very next morning, Sunday morning, the first day of the week, as soon as the sun rose, at the first sight of dawn, as soon as they could see the road, they went to the tomb. And this morning, I'd like to highlight for you three things that deserve our attention from this passage. The first is a beautiful love and a needless service. A beautiful love and a needless service. Now, as these three dear ladies, as they made their way to the tomb, I could just imagine that their steps were as heavy as their hearts, and they were talking amongst themselves, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now, if we read one chapter ahead in Mark chapter 15, we, we read that a wealthy man, an influential and wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea, he went to Pilate after Jesus had died, and he took custody of Jesus' corpse. And he brought Jesus into his own tomb, the tomb that he had prepared for his own burial. And he laid Jesus' corpse in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now it turns out that in those days, tombs were often vandalized. And of course, uh, Joseph of Arimathea being a wealthy man, you could imagine his tomb was a little nicer than most. And he had prepared uh, his, for his eventual burial, and he had dug out a uh, hole in a big rock, and he had prepared a large stone 
to cover the entrance. Because in those days, not only were the tombs often vandalized, but what happened, what, what would often happen was that poor people who had no tombs would come into other people's tombs, throw away the corpse that is inside, and bury their own. And, and uh, you could imagine that you did not want your tomb to be messed around with like that. So what you would do, you would place a large a stone, and you would jam a large and heavy rock against the entrance of the tomb in a downward slope, meaning it would require incredible energy and work in order for you to get into the tomb. And that's what these women are worried about. You see, Jesus was laid in a tomb that was meant for this wealthy man, Joseph, and they saw how this large stone had been rolled against the entrance of the tomb. And who's going to move the stone for them? Who's going to let them in? And not to mention the guards that Pilate had posted at the entrance. So as they made their way to the tomb, their hearts were heavy. But when they came to the tomb, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And notice how Mark inserts that description. It was very large. The stone had been rolled back, though it was very large. And it turned out, and it turned out that there was no need for these women to be anxious because what they could never do for themselves, God had already done for them. I mean, isn't that, very, isn't that the very heartbeat of the gospel message? What we cannot do for ourselves, God has done. The sin that we cannot atone for ourselves, God has done in the body, broken, mutilated, and executed body of the Lord Jesus. And the stone that the women could not imagine rolling away themselves, God had done for them. And what's so interesting is that, that they were worried that they could not serve Jesus the best way they knew how. They were anxious that they could not show and express their last love, last act of love toward Jesus. But it turns out their services were not needed. Now, I want to say this carefully and as, as lovingly as possible. Their love and their devotion for the Lord were deep, precious, and real. And yet, their instincts were off. You see, they went to the tomb to give Jesus a good burial because they did not believe the Scripture's repeated and numerous testimonies that the Messiah would suffer and die and that God would raise him from the dead. And they did not take to heart Jesus' own words that he would suffer and die and then on the third day rise from the dead. So here they are on the third day after Jesus died and was buried, though they loved the Lord deeply, 
genuinely, sincerely, though their devotion to the Lord was real, their instincts were off. And that's the irony. The irony is that one could really love Jesus and, and at the same time not know Jesus' will. The irony is that we can be really, truly, sincerely devoted to Jesus and yet be useless in service to him. And the reason is because we, when we are not informed and formed by scriptures, it is possible for us to love Jesus and still not understand his will. And if we are not informed and formed, what, I, what do I mean by that? Informed, know what the scripture says. Be informed of the content of scripture. And then be formed by scripture. Not only know what the scripture says, but live in trustful faith and obedience of what you have learned from scriptures. Live in a thoughtful trust. So we need to be both informed by scripture and formed by scriptures. And these dear, precious ladies whose love for the Lord Jesus is so clear, so evident, whose heart for the Lord is so beautiful because they were not sufficiently informed and formed by scriptures. They went to give him a service that was not necessary. After all, only a corpse needs a burial, not living and resurrected Jesus. And so that is the first thing that we see here, a beautiful love, but a needless service. Second thing that we need to observe is Jesus' most gracious response. Jesus' most gracious response now, these women, as they enter the tomb, they expected to find Jesus' corpse. That's what they were expecting to find. But to their utter and complete shock and surprise, Jesus was not there. Instead, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. Now, you probably already know this. Uh, Mark's writing style is characteristically terse. He is very concise. And as you know, Mark, uh, the gospel according to Mark is the shortest of the four gospels, and his descriptions contain only the bare essentials. And some people are really troubled by this. Um, but I think it's very easy to understand why Mark is so terse and his descriptions contain only the barest essentials. You see, Mark was Peter's companion and assistant. And Peter, the apostle Peter, is the major source of Mark's materials. And in fact, what I think is happening here is that the gospel according to Mark is really uh, Peter's sermon notes. 
And what every preacher does is that they walk up to the podium with, the, with, the, with an outline which is uh, detailed enough to keep them on track. But it doesn't have everything in it because a preacher uh, sees before him the outline, the notes that he has prepared, and that's enough to remind them of all the details that need to be explained and repeated. And I think that's what we have in Mark's gospel. This is uh, Peter's sermon notes. And it's enough that Peter has these words written down to keep him on the right track and to expand and fill in the details. That is to say, uh, what we read here about the young man uh, sitting uh, in white, it's actually recalling something that happened earlier the way the preachers do. Uh, If you remember Mark chapter 9, verse 3, this is the scene of Jesus' transfiguration. And there we we see that uh, Jesus' clothes became radiant, intensely white. And that whiteness was indicative of the, the glories of heaven that has broken into the ordinary place and time because of who Jesus was. And when Jesus was transfigured for a moment, for a fleeting moment, the disciples got to see the heaven's glory breaking into this world and radiating from that ordinary place. And so when Mark describes here the young man in the tomb in the white robe, he seems to me to be saying that that is a telltale signature of the divine glory that Peter witnessed when Jesus was transfigured. And Mark seems to be saying that that dark and gloomy tomb. But because it was empty, because Jesus rose from the dead, that dark and gloomy tomb took on the same qualities that the disciples noticed on the Mount of Transfiguration. The place of death became the place of glory. And because Jesus lives, the time for fear is past. The young man, who is really an angel, said to the woman, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And just like that. Do you remember the pilgrim's progress, how the pilgrim Christian, he carries his heavy load. It's crushing burden. And it only rolls off of him at the foot of the cross into the empty tomb. And just as pilgrim Christian's heavy burden fell off into the empty tomb, these heavy supplies that the women had been carrying on their back, I imagine, fell off from their back. And they stood up straight. And at that moment, the scriptures promises 
of Jesus' resurrection flooded into these dear ladies' hearts. And now, finally, they were both informed and formed by scriptures. And then now God gives them a ministry that is useful, meaningful, and purposeful. Now their deep love and devotion for Jesus, because now they have been informed and formed by scriptures, now their deep love and devotion find the right outlet. And the young man, the angel, told the women, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So that's the ministry that they received from the Lord. They thought the best that they could do to express their love for Jesus was to give him a good burial. But God had a better plan. Go, tell them that he is alive. Go meet him and go tell the disciples that they too will meet the Lord. And so that is Jesus' most gracious response. And let there be no mistake The women, they were off in their instincts, but let's be frank, they were not the only ones, are they? All of the disciples did not believe. None of the disciples believed, but these precious women, they were there that morning to do for Jesus what they best thought they could. And Jesus even though these women had come for burial because they did not understand and they did not believe, Jesus, uh, through the mouth of the angel, does not rebuke them, but he transforms their hearts, he transforms their mission and calling, and he gives them something better to do. That's the most gracious response from Jesus. And thirdly and finally, we observe that Jesus lives for us. Jesus lives for us. And so these three precious ladies, they left with the message to the disciples. And notice how the angel singles out to the disciples and to Peter. The message is especially directed to Peter. Now, of course, Peter had prominence as the leader of the pack of the disciples. But there's something more going on here. Because the last time Jesus and Peter saw each other, you remember what happened, don't you? The last time Jesus and Peter saw each other, Peter denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus, after Peter had denied Jesus for the third time, Jesus looked at Peter. And then we read that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now, I do not think it was because Peter saw in Jesus' eyes anger and disappointment. But I think instead, Peter saw in Jesus' eyes tenderness and understanding. In fact, just before Jesus was arrested, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 22, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like weed. 
But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Sometimes love is more unbearable than hate. And what Peter saw in Jesus' eyes was not hate, was not disappointment, was not anger. Peter saw in Jesus' eyes tenderness and understanding, and that's what broke his heart. That's what he could not stand looking. And that's why he went outside and wept bitterly. You see, Jesus, he never stopped loving Peter, even though Peter had denied him three times. Jesus never stopped loving Peter. And Jesus was now sending a message to him. You can see me. I will welcome you. I will embrace you. I will restore you. Because you see, it's only then, only a sinner redeemed and restored. And only then, that Peter can be useful to his brothers to strengthen them. People who have not been humbled by sin and grace should never be in ministry. People who do not know how much they are indebted to God's grace have no business dealing with sins of other people because they do more damage than good. And it was in God's kind and gracious plan and purpose that Peter discovers what is really in him, in his denial of Jesus. But that also becomes the avenue by which Peter discovers how much Jesus loves him. And that is why Jesus restores him, so that Peter may then strengthen his brother's And loved ones, that is why Jesus rose from the dead. In his death and resurrection, sinners are forgiven and justified. And it is the risen Jesus who gives a new life to those who are left in fear and in shame by the old life. Just as Jesus did for these women, And just as Jesus did for Peter, so he does for all of us. And so the women went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Well, you know that in Mark's gospel, Fear is the result of experiencing God's power. So do you remember what happened when Jesus was asleep in the boat and and the disciples were afraid? And Jesus woke and stilled the storm. We do not read that the disciples were put at ease. We read that they became afraid. And do you remember when Jesus delivered the man who had been afflicted with the legion 
And when he cast a legion out of the demon-possessed man, we read what happened to the people who witnessed. They weren't tickled, but they were made afraid. In Mark's gospel, that is the proper response when we come, come and witness the power of God's kingdom. And that is what is happening to these women. Not that they were not glad, but they came face to face with the power of God's kingdom. And they were left breathless, dumbfounded, shocked, and amazed. And in fact, I long for all of us to have that fear, to understand the power of God's kingdom. You see, you and I, we both love Jesus and stumble. It is an irony that we, we who love the Lord Jesus, should continue to stumble so much. It is an irony, but it is also reality. It happens, doesn't it? And when we stumble, when we are ignorant, when we fail, and when we sin, we need to understand that that, those things are not always indicating that we do not love Jesus. When we stumble, when we fall, when we prove ourselves ignorant, that is not an indication that there is no love in our heart for Jesus. But it does show us, doesn't it, that we are day by day debtors to God's grace. You see, loved ones, Jesus knows we love him. And Jesus is very moved by our love for him. How do we know? There are time to time precious moments in the Gospels where Jesus comments at the great love and faith that people show when a poor widow offered a small, almost a worthless offering. Do you remember how moved Jesus was? Do you remember when a woman who by many had been considered a sinner, when she came and wept at his feet and poured perfume on him, do you remember how moved Jesus was? Were these people by any means perfect in their love for Jesus? Were these women or other people by any means mature in their faith? By, by no means. And yet, Jesus saw the love they had in their hearts for him, and he was deeply moved. Jesus knows that, that you love him. And I want you to know that that is not nothing to him. In fact, he knows that you love him, and he is very moved by your love for him. And he, nevertheless, does not want you to leave with that as the source of your strength. Because you and I, we need something stronger than our love for Jesus when we stumble, when we sin, when we falter. We need something stronger to hold on to than our love for Jesus. And this is what Jesus gives us. Not our love for him, but his love for us. That's what we hold on to when we stumble. That's what we hold on to when we, we falter, when we sin, when we go astray. 
when we have acted as though we should have known better, just like these women. When we have denied and betrayed the Lord, when we owe him everything, just like Peter. In moments like that, we need something stronger than our love for Jesus. And that is his love for you and for me. And that is why he died. And that is why he lives. And the breathtaking, the glorious power of God's kingdom that leaves us in silence is this. That you and I can meet that same risen Jesus today by believing. And that by believing in the Lord Jesus who died and rose again, we meet the Lord Jesus full of love, grace, who knows how much we love him, who is tender towards us, and who embraces us despite all our failings. And he will never let us go. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are so good. And thank you, Jesus, that you are so tender toward those who have fallen, to those who have proven themselves weak. And so we come to you, Lord Jesus, not trusting in our strength, not trusting in our love for you, but trusting in your love for us, in your grace unto us. And so we pray, as we have heard and as we now receive the bread and the cup, would you encourage us, would you bless us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.